Welcome back, everybody, to the Rooted in Logos podcast, episode number 71. Whoop, whoop. My name is Brad. I'm joined, as always, by my dear friend, Austin. Austin, how you doing, man? Excellent, sir. I am. I'm good. Good. I'm good. I'm alive. Good. Absolutely. It's a good thing. <laughs> Amen. Good thing. Very good thing. <laughs> how about you? I'm doing great, man. Just uh, counting down the days to finishing this darn schooling. I would be, too. I am so tired of it. <laughs> it's not even funny. So yeah, we're here for episode number 71, and we're going to do something a little different today, and it's actually going to kind of be a little trend. Um, so for the next few weeks, we're going to kind of alternate between some of Jesus' teachings from parables and, and different things that he's, he uh, he taught and some of the stories he used to, to get his point across. We're going to go through some of those, like we did last week with the wheat and the weeds, kind of, and <laughs> that show uh, went off the rails, and, and like I said in the episode, we had about 30 minutes of stuff that we cut out completely because it just went a little too far that I wasn't I wasn't ready to get into all that. So we might do another another episode. Yeah, for sure. But we're gonna get into some of that. But on the alternating weeks, we're gonna go through some false teachings. And we're gonna step on some toes. We're gonna call out some names. This week in particular, we're gonna talk about Bethel. And if you remember a few episodes back actually a number of episodes back, we had our friend Isaac on, one of our worship leaders, and we were talking about should we sing these groups in church, your Bethels, your Elevations, your Hillsongs, Jesus Culture, these other groups that, while they have some good songs that are actually theologically sound, the theology behind the songs, as in from the church itself that's, that's kind of putting it out there, is rough to say the least. And we, we kind of all, I think, at the time, were like, you know, maybe we pick and choose. Maybe we take a song and say, okay, we analyze the lyrics, we analyze what it seems, say, so, you know what, this actually isn't bad. We will use this one. But then we take another song and we're like, okay, I don't like this line, I don't like this one. We pick it apart and we say, you know what, we're not going to use this one. And so we just kind of pick and choose and we don't throw the whole artist out. Right. I am wa- Austin and I talked about that. I am wavering on that opinion. I don't know if I'm quite fully ready to cast it out. I am really close, though. Oh, I am. And and the more <laughs> I read into what these churches believe, and maybe Elevation, when we get to that episode, will put it over the top for me. But the more I read about Bethel, man, I, I, I am getting to a point where I'm like, Let, let's get this out of our church. Let's yes. get these songs out of our church. So I don't care how solid that one song is or how that one song makes you feel. We've got to purge this church and their music out. Yes. I think. I'm getting to that point. Like, it, it's got to go. Yeah. I'm, and we're going to get into why. Yeah, I, I'm there. Emily and I, we've been there for, for a co- quite a little while now. It's interesting because we're at the point where we can be hearing a song sung during during church worship, and we just stop. We're like, this this is not right. And come to find out, we figure out who who wrote it and who sings it and who produces it, and we're like, that's why. Yeah. And so we are of the good conscience now we're like no we we cannot sing these because the people who are writing them are false teachers Uh, and i will say it because it's harsh but false teachers false prophets i agree with you to an extent And, and and here's why because places like bethel have their bethel music which is a little bit separate from the church itself right just kind of with their name on it so i do think there can be a distinction between that particular person who wrote that song where they might not hold to the views that bethel does now I say that, and I still think they have the name Bethel under they're under that banner. Right? Yeah, we need to be weary and, and at least at least be weary of it. If not weary, leery, leery, leery. Yeah, we need to at least be leery of it. If not downright, get rid of it. Right. So I do think we have to be a little careful 
and lumping every artist in their right. umbrella right. into that category. Right. But well, and these artists do, I think, have some responsibility to be like, okay, okay, yes, this is actually helping my career mm. be put under this Bethel machine and this Elevation machine and the Hillsong machine. Like, it's helping my career. Right. But. Well, and I guess for cost? me is most of them are worship leaders at Bethel. Right. And most of them, all their songs are being sung at Bethel and vice versa. They're singing Bethel songs. Now, yeah, the rare occasion that one of those, they write their own song and then they're singing their own song, okay? But they are also getting their doctrine and their theology from those right. people. So it is affecting them. It's it's affecting the way they're singing and, and producing and writing their songs. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to jump in and we're yeah. going to talk about some of their belief systems. There's going to be some names we're going to throw out there. The main pastor is a guy named Bill Johnson. He is the lead pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California. Uh, his wife is Benny Johnson. And they have a bunch of other leaders that we might get some names here and there. Um, we're going to talk about a guy named Chris Vallotton. And I think a guy named Tyler Johnson. We're talking about him for a little bit as well. But for the most part, Bill Johnson is going to be the focus. And his wife, is they're going to be the focus of this. Here's how this is going to work. We're going to talk about like a bunch of different beliefs that they have. And I'm going to play a lot of video clips from Bethel themselves. All right, I want to hear it from the source. Austin and I talked about this kind of before we started. Mm -hmm. How... We've all kind of read, and you may have too, read a lot of what other people think and, and or listen to someone like us talking about what we think about right. these certain things. And, and there's going to be an element to that in this conversation today, of course. We're yeah. going to give our thoughts on what they're teaching. But we want to actually go to the source on some of these. Now, they're not going to be super long clips. I do have one that's going to be about five minutes that I want to get to, and that's going to be toward the end of the episode. But we're going to talk about these things. We're going to talk about this, uh, these topics, and we're going to hear it from them. All right, well, I'm going to have some quotes from some of his books that I found and just different things. So, well, and, and real quick, too, if this was just a church on the other side of the, the world or the other side of the country that is just doing their thing, they're, they're, they're um, shepherding their, their people, it, you know what? So what? It, it, it does not affect us. It does not constitute us to name them out because it, we, we have nothing to do with that. But the reason why we are doing this is because their music is everywhere. Their right. music is in all the churches. Their music is in our church. Yeah, And absolutely. Brad and I would really like it if it was not in our church. So we are working that way. So that's why we're bringing this up. And like Brad said, we are big fans of you looking up these people, listening to them. That's why we're playing their clips. We're not playing other people's opinions on their clips. We're playing theirs. And then you take what we're saying and dive into it yourself. Right. And don't don't take the so, brain method. <laughs> of course. And, and and this is gonna be some surface level. All right. We're yeah. not gonna dive super deep into exactly what we just want to give an overview. Like I have yes. some articles here of like 12 teachings and they're very short articles considering how much they're diving into. Right. But we're gonna dive into some of these things and, and some of the stuff is is kind of crazy. Okay, so I'm gonna one that I don't really have a lot on. But there's one aspect of this that so they're a little background on Bethel. They are a charismatic church. All right. They are part of the Pentecostal side of things. They are very big into the spiritual gifts of prophecy, of speaking in tongues, of healing, and that physical sort of thing. Gifts. Physical gifts. And I do believe there are brothers and sisters on the Pentecostal side that are brothers and sisters. They just have yeah. some things that we disagree on and, yeah. and, and we can work around that. We can deal with that. And they don't fall into heresy necessarily. Right. This group does. They fall into <laughs> heresy. They go above and beyond. And we're going to talk about different terms and different things that they teach that are 
completely contradictory to Scripture. One of the things I read on here, and I'm going to do some quoting from some articles, they prioritize your experience over Scripture. Mm. All right, and and that's one of the things that the that that this church does. And I'm going to read a quote from an article from the Gospel Coalition, which I'm not a huge fan of the Gospel Coalition as a whole, but they have some good stuff on on Bethel. So I'm going to read a quote from this article. It says Johnson's pursuit of signs and wonders has led to a deadly elevation of experience over Scripture. Mm. He argues that quote God wants to take us farther, and we can only get there by following signs. Our present understanding of Scripture can only take us so far, Mm. end quote. Johnson encourages Christians to stop focusing on, quote, our need to protect ourselves from deception, and instead, our hunger for him must be seen in our lustful pursuit of spiritual gifts, Mm. end quote. He criticizes the church for, quote, living according to an intellectual approach to the Scriptures, void of the Holy Spirit's influence, which leads to a false sense of security, end quote. Instead, we are told to, quote, follow him... We must be willing to follow off the map to go beyond what we know. I, okay. Right. Okay. So again, it is that experience over Scripture. The Scripture can only take us so far. It goes against a lot of the verses that we use in our purpose statements for our podcast. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It is usable for, for teaching and rebuking and, and reproach and encouragement. It won't return void. It, it Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a, it, it, yes, it is intellectual. Yes, there are feelings involved and yes, there are experiences involved, but they go hand in hand. It's not one over the other. It's, right. and, and, and the Bible is the ultimate authority, right. not our experiences, not how we feel, not what makes us feel warm and tingly or gets us excited. That's not the ultimate authority, which is what. Bethel and, and those of their movement yeah. suggest is that our experiences trump anything else. Right. Well, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but they are saying that the the outward show is more important than the actually the knowledge of God. The the outward show of these spiritual gifts signs are, and wonders. Signs and wonders are more important than those of teaching, preaching, and so on and so correct. forth. Which if that's, he, at least that's the vibe I get. Right. And if he is saying that, then it is contradictory to Scripture. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. Desire the higher gifts. As in, what are the higher gifts? The higher gifts are apostleship, prophets, teachers. Those are the higher gifts. And what they're saying is, no, no, those are lesser. We need to worry about the showy gifts. Which, uh, again, Paul is even saying that there are those who do those. They're, they're not not important, but they are lesser than the higher gifts. That's why Paul uses the word higher, higher, as in more. they are more important. Yeah. So that's kind of where we are. It's kind of the baseline here. They are Pentecostal. They are very spiritual gift driven. And we're going to see that it's to a detriment. All right, yes. And we're going to get to a story toward the end of this that broke my heart when I read it. And I'm going to share it with you because... People need to know what what this church believes and teaches. So, let's start with some of the things that are just a little bit out there. All right, like 
they're not lighthearted by any means, and, and they are dangerous if you believe these things or you, you find yourself falling into this, then yeah, we, we have an issue. But they're a little more on the quote-unquote absurd side. All right, let's start here. Okay, Benny Johnson. Benny Johnson is Bill Johnson's wife. And I'm just going to read this from, from one, of the, uh, one of the articles I've read. And then I'm going to read some quote, a quote from, from them. So here we go. Benny Johnson, Bill Johnson's wife, teaches some very strange things about angels. All right, she has okay. some very strange beliefs about angels. She believes that there are different kinds of angels. Messenger angels, healing angels, fiery angels, and angels who have fallen asleep. Yep. So in one of her blog posts, uh, Benji Johnson wrote, I think that they have been bored for a long time and are ready to be put to work. Talking about angels who have fallen asleep. Ooh. She relates a story about one of her students at the Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry, the BSSM. Yeah. Which yeah. we'll talk about that. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> who claims that God told her to go to the chapel and yell, wakey, wakey. As Johnson says, nothing happened for about five minutes. So the student turned around to cross the road to, and to go over to a shop. As she turned around, she felt the ground begin to shake and heard this huge yawn. She looked back at the chapel and a huge angel stepped out. All she could see were his feet because he was that large. She asked him who he was and then he turned to her and said, I am the angel from the 1904 revival and you just woke me up. She asked him, why have you been asleep? The angel answered and said, because no one has been calling out for revival anymore. Oh, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on, on her. So. Okay. Okay. Is this a teaching that is like mainstream within Bethel? I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Right. But. <laughs> is, is, so that's coming from. That's coming from his wife, who is recounting a story from one of her students at the BSSM. But therefore she is broadcasting. She is broadcasting it. and teaching it and, and. And she relaying is it as truth. The wife of the head pastor. She is the wife of the head pastor. Oh wow! So wakey wakey, angels wake up. Sir, control your wife. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, so that's just one that's a little bit like seriously, seriously. You think that's true? All right, here's another one. The Holy Spirit is like a genie. Oh, the Holy Spirit is like a genie. Oh. And I'm gonna play a little compilation from Jen Johnson. I'm not sure what her relation is to Bill and Benji, but this is Jen Johnson. Uh, okay. And uh, this will kind of probably offend you, but oh well. And the Holy Spirit to me is like the genie from Aladdin. I view the Holy Spirit like the genie from Aladdin. And he's blue. Unplanned. Perfect. She touched her blue jeans. And he's funny. And he's sneaky. And he's courageous. And he's everywhere. And he's wonderful. That's who he is to me. And he's funny. He's sneaky. He's silly. He's wonderful. Robin Williams? And I view him Is like the genie from Aladdin. People are laughing. People are laughing. But she's, she's serious. I don't know where in my life that just kind of like came up. Maybe when I was like 10. I don't know. But because he's there, you know? And he's, he's the helper. And he's just always supportive and comforting and... He's just fun. What about And conviction? he's blue. And he's blue. Ah, okay, hold 10, on. 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. <laughs> oh my goodness. So this is not necessarily an official teaching, quote unquote, from Bethel again, but this is coming from someone who's on stage at Bethel. They are preaching. So they are teaching, teaching this, that, that in her mind, to her, the Holy Spirit's like a genie. Yeah. It leads to believe that that they believe that 
the Holy Spirit's job is to give you what you want, to and, grant you wishes. And he's sneaky. And he's sneaky. And the he's The Holy funny. Spirit is sneaky. Okay. Now, okay. 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 <laughs> I do believe God has an excellent sense of humor. Absolutely. And Look he's at got, us. And he's got like, some honestly, sarcasm. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Look at us. But sneaky? Oh, man. Oh, wow. Okay, continue. No, so that's what I have for, for that particular thought is right. is they view the Holy Spirit as someone who is going to grant you wishes and give you what you want and be comforting and he's funny and he's he's always there and always supportive okay but it and I'm, I kind of broke in and said that but what about conviction yeah what about telling you hey you are in the wrong here repent right what about that work of the Holy Spirit yes he is a comforter yes he is supportive when you're in his will and when you're searching for his will and you're trying to do his will and you're trying to obey right well and, and biblically Jesus says, I am sending a helper. Absolutely. He will help you. To do what? Obey and to become more like Christ. And to, and to bring to you closer to the Father. withstand the trials and temptations that are coming our way. Right. Which we're going to get into that in a minute as well. Oh, gosh. Well, oh, okay. So everyone listening to this with us, us pointing her out and you say, okay, that's not fair. She doesn't speak for the whole church. Okay. Well, if that church is putting her on stage and they are placing her in a teaching, preaching position... That entire church has to take account for those leading and teaching and preaching and shepherding those people and everyone else listening. In James, it talks about how those who should not become teachers, and this is one. Right. And the reason being is because they are going to incur such a harsher judgment because of the people that they're leading. And with her, she's not just leading the people at Bethel. Literally, everyone watching and listening to this tape over the world, and I'm interested to see how many views—probably millions, right? If if not hundreds and, and of thousands. To be thousands. fair, I'm, I'm, this is a clip within a clip, right? So oh, I don't, yeah, I, have, yeah. I don't actually have the, I haven't watched the. But it, but it's but her on the same topic, yeah. still saying the same things, and it's a couple of clips mashed together. You know, she right. changes costumes, I guess, or whatever. Middle but it's the same words, same words, and and that's it. It's. We are holding her to this to this account, and we're holding her church to this account because they're not coming out publicly saying, hey, we don't agree with this, and we're not having her teach anymore. Instead, they're saying, yes, keep teaching. That's right. that's why that's why we're doing this. Right, for sure. And it, it, is, and it is fair. It right? absolutely is fair. So the next one that I want to get to is they believe and they teach on Bill Johnson. This is going to be a, a clip from Bill Johnson, a couple of clips here, that say all must prophesy. Okay. All Christians must prophesy. Now, I want to point out that this is different. He's not saying all must speak the truth. Right. He's not saying that all must, you know, be able to stand up for what is right and and, and speak truth and prophesy truth. Right. right. Things that have already been written, things that have already happened, and what Jesus and, and the Bible teach. He's talking about prophecy. He's talking about prophecy. So I'm gonna have two ah. different clips here from Bill Johnson himself. If you've never heard Bill Johnson speak, by the way, he is really boring. <laughs> he is not, I mean, to have such a massive following and to not be charismatic blows my mind. Like, I mean, at least your cult leaders, your your classical cult leaders like Jim, and I believe this is, he's borderlining as a cult leader here. Oh, wow. Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> but your Jim Jones, your Warren Jeffs, your, your uh, uh, was it David Karish? That sounds uh, familiar. Uh, he was the Waco guy. Oh. Bran- Branch Davidian. Yes, yes. So that, don't. They're charismatic. Like they have the ability to draw people in. Enthusiastic. And they're enthusiastic and they they they're good public speakers. Like yeah. they're woo. Silver tongues. Silver tongue. And he's not that. So I'm always I'm a little confused as to how this 
happened, but whatever. But here's Bill Johnson on the idea that all must prophesy. That all God's people were prophets. Jesus talked about the prophets and the spiritual fathers of the Old Testament that longed to see what we see. I'd like to suggest to you that out of the ache of his heart, Moses was prophesying about the day that you and I live in, where all the people of God would be carrying prophetic anointing. And then another clip here, uh, similar concept. We're gonna. This is this is gonna be a little bit longer. Um, this is not from Bill Johnson. This is from one of their. Uh, I don't know her name, but from one of their sermons or, or services where they are gonna quote Lord of the Rings to end racism. Hmm. Okay, that's what they're gonna do. They're, they're quoting Lord of the Rings to end racism. They just to give you a picture here. There are one, two, three, four, five, six people on stage with a big wooden stick, and they're all touching the stick, and they're gonna beat the stick into the ground. And they're going to declare racism. That's exactly what they're going to say. I knew it. But I, I'm, I'm Don't doing you this. ruin it for I know. me. But I'm doing this to show you that they believe that all prophesy. And so this is what this is. This is um, Bethel Church ending racism. On the staff. And he said, I said. And he hits it. And that authority is what we are talking about that can only be released by an apostolic decree. The authority must be given. And that's why I revealed what we heard tonight. So, is that clear? Thank so, no. please stand up with us. So, if you can stand, because you're standing in authority, because you're all kings and priests, and all of us, we're an apostolic people. So, as an apostolic so team, everyone with the authority that God's given to us, we decree and declare that racism will end, it's over, in the ecclesia from this night forward, in Jesus' mighty name. Let's lift it up and bang it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, give him a praise over. Repeat with us. Thou shalt not pass. No more. Amen. 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 Racism cured, guys. Sorry, we did it twice. We need one more. One more. We need you to agree with us. Okay. On the count of three, on three, shout with us. One, two, three. Thou shalt not pass. In the name of Jesus Christ. All right, so if you're truly going Gandalf style, you're going to fall into the abyss with the Balrog, and you're, you're going to die, right? You're going to pass out of thought and out of time and of space, right? No, no, that's not what you're talking about here, right? So... They believe that we are all prophets. We are all called to prophesy. We're all called to do things like this. Grab a wooden stick and say, thou shalt not pass and end racism because we declare it. We declare it, therefore it is. Mm. We declare it, therefore it's true. That's their belief system. Dangerous. It is. It is dangerous. You look at scripture and you look at the Bible and it talks a lot about, and I think Austin's going to get the verses here, where we're all members of one body. But are we all ears? Are we all eyes? Are we all noses? No. Like, we're all different members. We all have different functions, different roles. And so, yeah, maybe there are some that are called to prophesy. We can get into that at some point and what that actually means and, and kind of where we believe the spiritual gifts have ended. 
right? I think mm-hmm. we've we've believed that both of us, don't, don't we? Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> I was speaking for both of us there for a second, but we believe that certain spiritual gifts have ended. Yes. It's called um, cessationist. Cessation. I think so. I think that's what it is. I think cessationist. We're doing really well here. Guys. Yeah, we are. <laughs> but no. The Bible specifically says we all have different gifts and all have different abilities. Not all of us are called to be different, to be everything or to be one thing. Right. So, Austin, do you have any verses to back this up for us? I, I actually read it just a little bit ago. So, yeah, going back to 1 Corinthians 12, 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. So talking about how no, not everyone has these. Now, now Paul is saying earnestly desire them, as in like um, when he is writing Timothy about the qualifications for pastors and for overseers. Um, he says those. Uh, it actually, you know, what, let me just let me just read it. I go to it. Better read it. So, First uh, Timothy chapter three. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So the aspiration and the desire to become a pastor is a good thing. And it, and it is something I believe that if you truly have it, granted, I, I do believe that the Holy Spirit gives it to, to you, but your aspiration to take it, that it has to be there. And Paul is saying, you know, desire these, desire to be teachers, desire to be able to prophesy. Now, his, the, this guy's mentality, all their mentality of prophecy is different from the way New Testament scripture talks about it. As in, okay, Old Testament prophecy is whenever God would relay a message to his prophets to relay it to his people. So, in, in Hebrews, Hebrews 1 Chapter one through three, or verses one through three. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So, right there, long ago and in many times, He spoke to the prophets to speak to our fathers. Okay, that was prophecy. We, you read through the Old Testament, He gives a prophecy saying, "This is going to happen." And they would tell the people, and it would come to pass, as in a future event is going to take place. Now, in these days, these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. Okay, how do we learn and read about the things that Jesus did? Well, scripture. So, when we're talking about prophecy now, there is no new revelation that is going to be coming from God to us because everything in Scripture is sufficient enough. Uh, Revelation, everything that is to come has already been written down, and we can read about it. And we can prophesy about it and tell other people. But I, I firmly believe, and nowhere else in Scripture does it point to, in these days, Hebrews chapter 1 says it, in these days, he is not speaking through other people, giving new revelation on things that are to come. And I, I'm, I'm sure we will hit a few of those, but I mean, you see them on YouTube, prophets, people prophesying things that are to come, Trump being the next uh, president again, or Trump taking uh, a second presidency and saying, this is prophecy, I am prophesying that it's going to happen, God told me to do it, and then it doesn't happen. 
It doesn't happen. I've got a bunch of scripture for that too, but I'll get to that here in a little bit. So this, we're going to get into a couple of a couple more topics here when it comes to this uh, these spiritual gifts. And I'm so going to talk about the idea that we are able to learn spiritual gifts. Okay, I'm gonna we're going to play a couple of clips on this mm-hmm. that we are able to learn spiritual gifts. So talking about the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, the BSSM. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This school. And this is from their website. It says, this school is designed to equip students not just to minister in the gifts of the Spirit, but to live a supernatural lifestyle. You experience life-changing revelation about yourself and the world around you as you become aware of the kingdom within you and are encouraged to be naturally supernatural. Be naturally supernatural by bringing heaven to earth wherever you go. We believe Jesus meant it when he taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. I do not think that means what you think it means. It, it, it definitely does not. And so they 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 want to teach you how to learn to live in the kingdom of God and extend its borders through a supernatural lifestyle, bring heaven to earth everywhere you go. Okay. So what does revival look like? And I'm going to read this from the website and then we'll play a couple clips. Okay. So what does revival look like? Joy. If the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit then joy is one-third of the kingdom. That means a lot of laughter and fun. Life at BSSM is full and alive and joyful. Now, that brings me to one of their uh, spiritual laughters. Have you ever heard of that, Austin? Spiritual laughing. No, I can only imagine. So I'm going to read this uh, firsthand account of this from a gentleman. It's like a bunch of jokers in the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Charles Samuel. Charles Samuel. Good and he's just a, he's a blogger. And, and, and I just I found his story. And I found his story to be a little fascinating. I'm not going to read the whole thing by any means. But this is a story of when he first experienced a Bethel revival. And he experienced this holy laughter, spiritual laughter. So oh, here we go. Goodness. So I'm just going to read just a couple things here. He was in New York City. Walking in, our first impressions wouldn't give anybody any pause. It was a bunch of young people around my age, hanging out, talking. We picked spots in the middle of the room. And from what I remember, we were all crammed into the small downtown space like sardines and tin. There were prayers, songs, songs that I was familiar with because everybody and their mother was singing this stuff in their churches at the time. <laughs> and then during a wind down after a communal song, it happened. A laugh. Not one of those I'd heard something funny kind of laughs. Maybe it struck a chord with me because it was so uncalled for and I was so ill prepared for it. Quote, or er, parentheses, I had heard rumors of this expression in worship settings, but I mostly brushed it off as negligible. But it was a laugh that came from somewhere strange, like a comic book villain cackle kind of laugh. A guttural laugh, followed by several guttural laughs. And then a chorus of guttural laughs, cackles even. Theologically, I didn't know enough at the time about whether or not laughing like this was strange. In some charismatic circles, like Bethel's, they refer to this phenomenon as holy laughter. So, okay. So I'm going to play a clip of this holy laughter. And and I'm jumping right in the middle of a video, so you're not going to understand the full context of what Bill Johnson is saying this entire video, but he's basically praying for an outpouring of the Spirit and increasing an outpouring of the Spirit and and to work miracles and work wonders and work signs and, and just kind of listen. And does this sound like it's of God at all? Right. Well, and we're, we're picking a video and a part of it because there's so many. There's I literally, so many. You go yeah. on YouTube and you can find... A pl- I, was, I was just scrolling. scrolling. There is a plethora of yeah. them. So many videos to choose from, but this is one that has the laughter, for our purposes, a little loud enough where you can hear it. So let's just kind of play. You'll hear Bill Johnson pre- or praying 
during this, you'll hear this people until the Lord a little bit of chaos. Stop. If you're Just watching the video, people are convulsing. They are writhing fire. around. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We say more, we say more, we say more. Increase that here, Lord God. We say more. Increase, Lord. Increase, increase, Lord. I'm good. So, Austin, I want you to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in response to this, because there's a particular phrase in here that I want to pull out, and and, it, and see if you can see what that phrase would be. But go ahead and, and read this for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Okay. So, we'll start in verse 5. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, to prophesy. Again, we've already distinguished prophecy. Right. Uh, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be, may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in the tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Jump down to verse 23. Verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are all out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and out and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? So you walk into a place like Bethel, and, and as a, as a believer, I would say they're out of their minds, and they have this holy laughter and this cackling and this convulsing on the ground and just being slain in the spirit and shaking. I mean, if you can watch these videos, it, it, it's truly scary to be honest. It's demonic. With you. It, really. it is demonic, and. and I encourage you to watch these videos to take our don't just take our word for it. See what there, these yeah. people are doing. 
They are convulsing on the ground. They are writhing around. They are laughing and just hollering and screaming. In the name of what? Like what are they? What Join? are they accomplishing in right. this? How yeah. is it building up each other? Well, and literally, he goes. Paul goes right into orderly worship. Verse twenty-five. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn. And let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. The spirits of prophecy are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. That's it right there. That is confusing. That is confusion. Yeah. So let me, I'm going to play a couple clips from Bethel. From This one is from Bill Johnson, talking about how people can learn the spiritual gifts. They can learn how to prophesy, learn how to speak in tongues, learn how to have holy laughter and live spirit-filled lives. So here, here we go. Up in. As you're pray, praying over them, command now the spirit of affliction, loose that hip. In Jesus' name. He is teaching Command them how to heal someone's uh, hip. Just, just speak health into that hip. Uh, some actually need a creative miracle. There's degenerative condition in the joint. So the worlds were made when God spoke them into being. So speak to that new hip. What I like to do is just declare all things new. We just speak to the joint now. All things new in Jesus' name. So he, that is him leading a lesson in how to heal someone's hip. How to perform a miraculous healing. He is teaching them how to do it by speaking it into existence, manifesting the existence of it. So another clip here, a woman teaching the congregation how to be filled with the Spirit, how to prophesy, how to lay hands on people. Most impartation that you've ever believed for right now, you're going to impart to each other. So you're going to take it, you're going to Put it on somebody else's head a watch and then say, More Lord. Whoa! More Lord. Everybody, place, place that anointing, that crown, that gift upon someone else's head. This young Keep man praying. Is now, every single on one of you, impartation, legacy, legacy, legacy. Legacy, legacy, okay, So, <laughs> again, teaching people how to lay hands on people and fill them with the Holy Spirit and to impart things upon them and manifest things and, and heal. So, they believe that the spiritual gifts are things you can learn and things you can be taught. That is dangerous. I mean, they're teaching people that they have the power in their own, you know, in their own ability to heal. Just scary stuff there, demonic stuff, things that are not of God. Okay, so John, John chapter, let's go 15. Uh, there, there's so many here, but I'm just going to go 15. <laughs> Talking about, okay, in Jesus' name, and praying in Jesus' name, and a lot of people go straight to the verses, whatever you ask in my name, it will be done for you. And a lot of the prosperity gospels use this, but they forget the rest of it. They forget the rest of it. So John chapter 15, I'll start in verse 16 of chapter 15. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So abide. That is the key part. Fruit should abide. Why? Chapter 14, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do. And that's where they pick this up. But they're forgetting the rest of it. They're forgetting the rest of abiding within Christ. And what does that mean? Your will is now his. And everyone going around and praying for these things to happen, you know, okay, and okay, yes, it is good. If someone has a hip replacement, you pray over the hip and Lord God, please heal this hip. I mean, biblically, that is sound, but it's when you're teaching people that if you do this, it will happen. It will happen. And we're going to get into the theory behind that in just a second. Okay. Because that it's actually a deeper part of their theology. Oh, goodness. Okay. One more thing that's kind of on the just kind of bizarre side of this whole thing is called a glory cloud. They believe in glory clouds. Let me read this uh, from the Gospel Coalition. It says, Bethel Church claims to frequently encounter unexplained phenomena both during their services and also in their, na- in their everyday lives, such as falling gold dust and angel feathers. The feathers, gold dust, etc. are not things we do, Johnson says. They happen. They also claim to see a glory cloud in the appearance of dust and smoke in their services that they say is a supernatural sign of God's presence, similar to the pillar of cloud that traveled with Moses and the Israelites in Exodus. So let me play a little clip of Bill Johnson responding to a glory cloud that has appeared at Bethel. Increasing it. You got that video ready? If you've got that video ready, why don't you? It's just about 15 seconds, and I want to put a large piece together if I can get some of you to send me what you have. All right, just yeah, hold it right there. You can see right next to the screen, you see that kind of smoke there. Uh, well, just watch. Go ahead. And it's a video of, of a, a video of a video <laughs> of smoke coming out of the vents in the air ducts. Uh, you remember, now this is how people very excited video taping it on their phones. This cloud coming out of the run it back again, events. playing it again. Now, pause it, just pause it there for a second. There we go. Paused on the video of the dust coming out of the vents. For those of you that were here, uh, you remember now this has happened all three times on Friday nights late. Late into the evening, started about 11.30, went till about 12.15, if I have my numbers right. But there was such intense worship, such intense worship, and, and childlike wonder at what's happening. And uh, I wouldn't normally even show this to you, except I really believe there's a, there's a prophetic point to what God is going to be releasing. Go ahead and play it again. I got it. So... I don't know. I, if I see smoke coming out of the vents at a church like this, I'm thinking they're pumping me with some sort of poison a la Jim Jones. Like, something's happening, and we might be all committing suicide together. I don't know. Nah, but It's just LSD. It's fine. <laughs> it's, 
they believe that the Spirit of God will come down to them in this dust, and in and angel feathers fall from the sky, and, and all these supernatural things happen to them because they are in touch with the kingdom of heaven within them. Mm. And it's just bonkers. Like, it's just bizarre. So, those are some of the kind of, I don't, again, not lighthearted because these are dangerous teachings and dangerous beliefs, but some of the more like, wow, that's a little absurd. And you kind of see it and you're thinking, okay, I can totally see where that's just bogus or whatever. But let's dive in a little bit deeper just for a few minutes. And we're going to talk about a couple things. First, we'll talk about repentance, their idea of repentance. And this is a quote from Bill Johnson's book. It says, renewing the mind begins with repentance. Re means to go back. Pent is like the penthouse, the top floor of a building. Repent, then, means go back to God's perspective on reality. Wait, what? It, repentance? Wait. Yeah. What, what does that mean? I, I don't know. I, 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 it's nonsense, right? It's nonsense. Repent means to go back to God's perspective on reality. In reality, the word is metanoia, okay, and good. it means <laughs> a change of mind and an acceptance of God's will. It is turning away from your sinful ways. It has nothing to do with a penthouse. Again, this falls into their prosperity preaching and teaching. That when you repent, you're you're going back to God's penthouse, and then you're going to be blessed, and you're going to have all this wealth, and all this healing, and all these supernatural powers and abilities. But in reality, repentance is a sobering reminder that we fall short of God's glory, yeah. and we need to turn away from those things that take us away from Him, and help and make us fall short. Yeah. So they have a warped view of repentance. Well, it's a it's not even a... Ch- I want to call it a child's view, but I, maybe it's just because I'm teaching my children straight scripture because my children don't even have that view of repentance. They know what repentance is and what, what it does. This is a, and I've said it before, it is milk diluted with heroin, and they are so addicted to it, they cannot get off of the milk. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm not going to bring this one up fully, but there is one um, that we're talking about dominionism, and they believe that God's dominion is we are to take back the earth and bring God's kingdom here ourselves, and, and it's hmm. not going to be an end of days type thing. It's we need to reclaim the set. What are they called? The seven mountains of culture, I believe is what they talk about. Look up dominionism. That is one of their yeah. teachings. I don't want to get too far into it because I haven't studied it much. I, I was going to say, I, 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 okay, I'm, I'm getting where they, they get that. Yeah. It's, it's, um, hence the, the seven heads of the dragon. Right. So okay. get into that, look into that, but it, it, that's a rough one, but we're not going to get into there. So one couple more I want to get into before we wrap this up. All right. The first one is they believe that Jesus was born again. Oh, so let's look and listen to what Bill Johnson has to say about this, Jesus being born again. I don't know, did you know that Jesus was born again? I asked the first first service, and he said no. But I will show you, it's in the Bible. Jesus was born again. He had to be. He became sin. Hebrews 1, it says this, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. In Acts 13, he explains that. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he said that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He was born through Mary the first time, and through the resurrection the second time. He was born again. Hmm. Hmm. I'm reading through what he he just gave. (laughs) 
Both so Hebrews and Acts. Let's talk about this term born again and where that comes from. That comes from this, the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, correct? Right. And how Jesus tells him, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. Because, of course, Nicodemus is like, well, do you mean I need to crawl back into my mother's womb and be be born again? And, and he's like, like, no, dummy, that's not what I'm saying <laughs> at all. Like, you need to be born of the Spirit. Basically, what I think is happening here is, is he has just a, a, he defines these terms differently. And he believes Jesus needs to be born again. Well, if you, again, look at what the term born again truly means. It means repenting of your sin, being cleansed in the blood of the, of the Lamb, and being reborn into new life. Your dead heart is now alive, right? Right. What was once dead is now being made alive. Your heart of stone turned into a heart of flesh. That is being born again. Jesus never sinned. Jesus was perfect. He had no need to be born again. If Jesus, and they do teach this, they, they teach that Jesus was not fully God when he was on the cross. Ooh. They deny his full deity. If that were the case, his death would be meaningless. Yeah. If he had the need to be born again, if he was born again, his death would be meaningless. It wouldn't accomplish what it was supposed to accomplish. So the idea that Jesus was born again is a heretical idea. It's implying that A, Jesus was sinful, and B, that Jesus was not fully God. Yes. Two things that are completely contradictory to Scripture and to what the Bible teaches. Oh, and that's it. It's, okay, we're being born again through Spirit, through the blood of Christ. Does that mean Christ died and was born again through his own blood? Uh, and again, going based on their, their their teaching and their logic of Christ is not fully God, because he was, okay, yes, fully man, but... In that fully man, he could not be fully God, because God's true essence could not be contained in in a human body, which, biblically, that's, that's just not true. But, granted, this is not a new heresy. This is a heresy that plagued the, the early church from the very beginning. Hence, so many of Paul's letters to the churches, warning them about this, uh, his letters to Timothy just pointing out all this stuff as well. It's just, that's heretical. That's It's anti-God and anti-Christ. So we're going to get to a couple more really fast. Uh, one of them is called, and I had it and I've lost it, so stand by one second. How about this? Well, you're doing that. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Boom. Boom. So, we're going to, this leads me to the kenosis heresy. All right, this is the kenosis heresy that Bill Johnson believes. So while Johnson sees the miracles of Jesus in the Gospels, he doesn't see unique, a unique manifestation of divine power. He sees an example for every Christian to aspire to. According to Johnson, quote, Jesus performed miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in right relationship to God, not as God. If he performed miracles because he was God, then they would be unattainable for us. But if he did them as a man, I am responsible to pursue his lifestyle. Johnson also teaches that common, the common word of faith belief that Jesus was born again, which we just mentioned. But perhaps the most offensive te- thing he teaches is that Jesus laid aside his divinity as he sought to fulfill the assignment given to him by the Father. 
This teaching is based on Philippians 2, 5-7, and is strikingly similar to the kenosis heresy that emerged in Germany and England at the end of the 19th century. Kinetic teach, uh, theologians argue that Christ emptied himself of some of his divine attributes, such as omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence, while on earth as a man. While it appears that Bethel worship that Bethel worships Jesus as God in their songs, their understanding of the incarnate Christ is that he was less than divine while he walked on earth. So again, mm. denying some of the divinity of Christ. Okay, so, yep, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay. So, okay, yeah, I get what they're saying, that he was not fully, as, uh, okay, Philippians is saying, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. So, as it also says in other scriptures, he was brought lower than the angels for a little while. Why? Because he humbled himself as a servant. So that's why he did not count himself equal with God. But we also read as he's talking to his disciples that, you know, Philip is saying, show us a glimpse of the Father and that will be sufficient enough. And Jesus says, have I not been with you long enough? Yeah. Do you not know that I, I am he basically? And then in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Who? Jesus. God. Jesus, God, as the Trinity. He is God. But I, and again, I just, I hear that, and all I hear is they have a such a low view of the Trinity and a low low ultra low grasp of reverence for god and and they believe again that that we have these powers within ourselves and we have this ability to be prosperous and to be rich and wealthy and heal and touch people and be slain in the spirit like they want to bring the kingdom of heaven here right and that's not biblical it's not what the bible says so go ahead well and okay and also him talking about the quote you read talking about how him trying to attain the life of Jesus, as in, if he was truly God, we could not attain to the things that Jesus did, which th that, that is true. Even though I, I read earlier, Jesus saying, you will do even greater things than this. Okay, but why? Go up a little bit further. Because God gives us a helper, the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. The power of God imbued in us. We, we are not the ones that can heal. We are not the ones that are doing these miraculous things that the apostles were doing. It was the Holy Spirit through them. And, it, and it's not guaranteed. Right, yeah. No, nothing's guaranteed. The only well, thing guaranteed for us are trials and tribulations. Well, and the guarantee was for the apostles. 
when he true. we in, yeah. in, when he gave this gift to the apostles he uh, and uh, yeah this goes into other things but he didn't necessarily give that power to all of us right so i want to go to a couple more things then we're going to play a longer clip and then we're going to be done two things one I want to talk about grave sucking for just a minute. Graves. Grave sucking. Sucking. Grave sucking. I want to caveat this by saying that they don't specifically condone this. Okay. They have just had Benji, specifically his wife, has been, there's photographs of her doing this, practicing this, and talking about this. And there's a quote from a book that I also want to read that alludes to this. Hmm. So grave sucking essentially is this. Basically... When a Christian dies, when a, when a saint dies, there are blessings and anointings that die or that, that stay dormant within their bones. Okay. So they haven't used their full anointing, their full power, their full supernatural power. Okay. And that by laying on the grave of these believers and of these great men and women of faith, we can soak up or suck up the anointings that are left behind in their bones and in their bodies. Hmm. And we can get their power, and we can get their their spirit and their manifestation inside of us, and that is what grave sucking is, and grave grave sucking, grave soaking, however you want to say it. Right. Again, they do not endorse this outright, but there again, you can go look at them. There are pictures of his wife doing this exact thing and saying that they were, you know, sucking up the anointing from them. Well, and it's like okay, I get I get the biblical concept, like the, the dead man. That they didn't have time to bury, and so they threw him as they were going to go fight, and he fell on the bones of Elisha, and he came to life. Okay? And then you have other parts throughout the New Testament talking about how, you know, uh, someone, was it the shadow of Peter, or they brushed his, uh, brushing Jesus' clothes, but these other times were just even like a scarf of one of the apostles healed someone. It's like, okay, I get the biblical concept for that. But again, those were the apostles. They had special things by by Christ, whereas we do we don't have those again. And it's not touching the bones; it's it's, it's laying on the graves the of graves. these people. Just laying on the graves; these people will suck up their anointing mm. and their powers and their abilities. They so aren't there no more. In his book, "The Physics of Heaven," Bill Johnson says this quote: "There are anointings, mantles, revelations, and mysteries that have lain unclaimed, literally where they were left." Because the generation that walked in them never passed on. I believe it is possible for us to recover realms of anointing, realms of insight, realms of God that have been untended for decades, simply by choosing to reclaim them and perpetuate them for future generations. Oh my goodness. So this is in the vein of a a, a cult leader named William Branham. Uh, He died on December 24th, 1965. He was buried... April 11th, 1966, because they believed that he was going to rise from the dead. He was going right. to, and this is going to lead us to the next, the last part of this, that they believe he was going to rise from the dead. He was going to resurrect. Uh, Branham denied the Trinity. He believed he was the end times Elijah. And one of the more twisted views that he had was he believed that even Satan had sex and conceived Cain. <laughs> and that because of that, women have the ability and the capability to carry the seed of Satan. Interesting. And so women have that potential, and that's why they are inferior and can't be trusted, according to William, <laughs> William, Bran- William Branham. And here is why I bring this up, because... Is that joyful laughter? Yeah, right. <laughs> because Bill Johnson and Chris uh, Vallotton, Chris Vallotton, Bill Johnson and Chris Vallotton want to take up the mantle of William Branham. 
So I'm going to play this clip where they where both of them talk about this. Take up the cloak or the mantle of William Bronham, this cult leader. I mean, just that's what he is or what he was. This is my conviction that as much as God put on a William Branham or a Catherine Kuhlman or a Wigglesworth, he'll put far greater anointing on a company of people than he ever would on an individual. And to do that, there must be that corporate sense of we have to deal with the issue of obeying the rules of this kingdom to tap into the resources of this kingdom. So I was in the prayer chapel and laying on the floor and I said, God, would you give me the mantle of William Branham? And he said, well, how could I do that? If I did that, it would, it would destroy you. And I was laying there. It was like the Lord asked, how could I do that? I, so then I said, I waited about a few minutes, and I was thinking about it. I said, well, you could put the same mantle on a whole generation. Then we wouldn't stand out from one another. He said, all right, I'll do that. What? So it doesn't make a, sense, but... Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it, it says that he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. So here's where I want to get into the last one. And, and I played that clip just to show you that they sympathize with William Branham and they look up to this man. And I want you guys, this, this is your homework for the week. I want you guys to look into William Branham and look into what he believed and what he taught and what he did. And look at that and, and understand that Bill Johnson and those in Bethel look to this man as a spiritual leader, as someone to look up to. But he, here's the one I want to get into. And this is the one that really bothers me. And it's actually, it's really sad and, and it's, it's, it's tough. So, let me get to it. Here we go. I'm going to read this. The Johnsons are frequently criticized for the teachings, which often veers from the suspect to outright heretical. A prime example is Bill Johnson's Jesus is Perfect Theology, which claims that it is always God's will to heal someone. Mm. This is from Bill Johnson. How can God choose not to heal someone when he already purchased their healing? Was his blood enough for all sin or just certain sins? Were the stripes he bore only for certain illnesses or certain seasons of time? When he bore stripes in his body, he made a payment for our miracle. He already decided to heal. You cannot decide to buy something after you've already bought it. There are no deficiencies on his end. Neither the covenant is deficient, nor is compassion or promises. All lack is on our end of the equation. The only time someone wasn't healed in the Bible, the Gospels, is when the disciples prayed for them. Example. Mark 9, when they prayed for the tormented child, they did not have breakthrough. But then Jesus came and brought healing and deliverance to the child. Jesus is perfect. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. He is the will of God. We can't lower the standard of Scripture to, level, to our level of experience, or in most cases, inexperience. It is a very uncomfortable realization. Not everyone can handle it. Most create doctrine that you can't find in the person of Jesus. He is the will of God. And so his belief here, guys, is that God's will is to heal everyone, period. My question to you is, Mr. Johnson, why do you still wear glasses? If God's will is to heal everyone, why are you still wearing glasses? Is God not willing to heal your eyes to where you have perfect eyesight again? Or is it just he doesn't have the correct Or does he faith? not have the correct faith? Or does he not have the correct supernatural power? And this brings me to a story that was tough to read. So in December 2019, uh, a couple staff members from Bethel lost their two-year-old child. Uh, tragic, sudden, and unexpected. What follows, though, to me is what is dangerous about Bethel and people like this, is they began not only praying, but believing and expecting her to be, to be resurrected. And not that God can't do that, and not that God hasn't done that in the past. Obviously, through Scripture, He has. 
But what's dangerous is that they believe that they had the power to bring that out and to manifest it. They had the power to manifest the healing to her and bring her back to life. Hmm. They started a GoFundMe page that within a couple, within like a week had over $50,000 for that family. But they believe that they were going to resurrect Olive. I want to play for you just from Bill Johnson's about a five minute video of the Olive campaign, the resurrect Olive campaign. So this is, this is um, Bill Johnson's own words. Hi, I'm Bill Johnson from Bethel Church here, Redding, California. First of all, I wanted to say thank you to the countless numbers of people around the world that have been praying with us for the miracle that we need this week. Saturday, just a few days ago, we had a great tragedy. One of the key individuals in our world, uh, their two-year-old little girl died mm. quite unexpectedly, just out of nowhere. And so we've been uh, praying for the miracle of God. Mom and Dad, Andrew and Callie, have asked us to pray for resurrection. We've joined with them. We have a biblical precedent. Jesus raised the dead. Jesus raised the dead. Not only that, he introduced himself as the resurrection and the life. In fact, in John 11, verse 40, he says, If you believe, you will see the glory of God. And so seeing what Jesus has accomplished, what he did in his lifetime, and then when you add to that, that he commanded his followers, his disciples, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out devils, to cleanse lepers. None of those are things that we can actually do. And yet he commanded us because somehow in our yes, he gives us the ability to carry out his mission. Being commissioned means we've said yes to his mission. Anyway, this is our heart. So we've tried to run with a, a real conviction and a devotion to the very thing that Jesus taught us to do. So he modeled it, and he commanded us to do the same. Some have asked, isn't this interrupting the sovereignty of God? And my response is, you know, I mean, first of all, we don't ever want to violate the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He chooses what he wants, and we cooperate with him. There's no question. But then my question is, why did Jesus raise the dead? Did he violate the sovereignty of God? Did we have the Father will one thing and Jesus will another? Of course not. We know that's not true. The reason Jesus raised the dead is because not everyone dies in God's timing. And Jesus could tell. And he would interrupt that funeral. He would interrupt that process that some would just call the sovereignty of God. And he'd raise the little girl. He'd raise the adult person from the dead. The point is, Jesus set a precedent for us to follow. We rarely know what we're doing, especially when we come into new areas like this. There's no manual that tells us fast this many days, pray this many hours. We don't have any of that. What we do have is a biblical precedent, Jesus' lifestyle and Jesus' commands. Some would ask, how long do you pray and when do you quit praying? And I don't have a good answer. We're kind of in the middle of that journey right now. But there is a biblical precedent to continue praying. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, is a whole story about the importance of persistent, persistence in prayer. Um, what is it? The end of Hebrews uh, 10 and the beginning of Hebrews 11 talks about enduring faith, the faith that endures past what everybody would expect. It's that need to hold something. So we're in that point. We, we admittedly are just trying our best. We want to honor mom and dad. We want to honor their heart for the resurrection of their child. And so we've said yes. We've partnered with them. 
the child has been in, in the morgue ever since uh, the child died. He's not, she's not here. We don't surround the baby and perform some ritual. We're just, we're together, honestly, to worship Jesus. He's the miracle worker. We're not. He is the grace giver. We're not. He is the one from whom all perfect gifts flow. And we simply are here to honor the name of Jesus. We know enough about this process through the years. We know enough that when there's a breakthrough, when there's an answer, when there's a miracle of any kind, he gets the glory. He gets the credit. He's the one who performed it. It may have been our hands, may have been our words, but honestly, he's the miracle worker. We're just tools in his hands. But when it doesn't work, we don't blame God. We give him the glory. We give him the praise. We celebrate his goodness, his kindness. Because nothing about our experience, difficult or not. It's interesting, and I'm going to finish this, but it's interesting to me, like I've said multiple times when we talk about stuff like this, there is a little bit of truth mixed in with some mm-hmm. of this stuff, right? Yeah. And you start to hear things, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. Brad, Austin, why? Like that doesn't sound so bad. But it's because there are nuggets of truth that he has the following that he has. Right. Because there are things in here that sound good and that taken on their own, Austin and I would both agree with. Yeah. Right? Take them on their own. We agree with these things. It's because of those moments that he has this following and he has the ability to put stuff like this out. Yeah. Changes who he is. We are spending our life trying to discover this wonderful, wonderful father who is so perfect in every way. And our passion, our heart, is to discover that and to make it known. We've got a planet of people that are hurting so deeply because they just don't know what this Heavenly Father is like. And so we've given our life to this. We're going to get some things good, right, some things we won't do so well. But we're in a journey like you, like many of you, and we're in this pursuit to see Jesus exalted and a whole generation of people that can accurately and responsibly demonstrate the love, the purity, and the power of God. This is our passion. Thank you again. So many of you have helped us. You've prayed with us. You've joined with us. Some of you did so a couple years ago when we had little Jackson Taylor in the crisis and a miracle that God performed. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Others of you have sent challenging questions to us. And and I thank you as well because we never want to take anything for granted. We just have this heart to walk in purity, to walk in love, to walk responsibly. And we've said yes to that call, and you've helped us. So I want to thank you. I want to bless all of you in Jesus' name. Thank you for being part of our global family. Hmm. That's a hard one. It is. Because it's like, I I, I firmly believe that if God so wishes, if his will is to bring someone back from the dead, that it will happen. I, and it, we were even talking about earlier about how, you know, how these gifts have subsided, the the tongues and the healings, but still believing that God can use them however and whenever he wants. And I have heard about <clears throat> missionary journeys and trips that things like this have happened. And so I, I do believe they are still existent, but not in the way that they used to be. And and looking at the 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 bringing back to life. Uh, do I believe it can happen? Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I believe in the one true living God and that there is no limits. And the danger that we see here is they are okay. 
praying in the, the name of Jesus for something to happen. I mean, we're called to do that, right? And praying, believing that God will do it, but also keeping in mind that when we have to keep in mind that if it is not in his will, then it will not be done. But it, we do read passages like, powerful is the prayer of a righteous man. And if a righteous man is praying, Lord God, heal this person, Lord God, bring this person back to life. I do believe God listens to that. But if it is not in his will, I, I don't believe it will be done. Um, when Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead, I believe it is. it was his will that Lazarus would die just so Jesus would bring him back to life. And we see that Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait two days before I, I go visit Lazarus. And then later he says, Lazarus has gone to sleep. And they're like, oh, well, well he's just asleep. He'll be fine. And Jesus says, well, no, you, you don't realize what's going on. He's dead. And they're like, oh. And Jesus says, I have waited two days so that he would die mm -hmm. so that you all will see him brought back to life and you all will believe. Right there we see how it was God's will that Lazarus would die and it was also God's will that Lazarus would be brought to back to life. Not like what this guy is saying, how, oh, well, it's not God's will that that person dies yet. And that's why they brought him back to life. Right. Because that goes into the mentality of, okay, you believe that God is in control, right? But do you believe that he is controlling what is going on? Hence the, the idea of an atom. Okay, God is in control. And he's controlling these atoms, except for this atom. Okay, this, this atom is on its own. Okay, it's bouncing back and forth, doing its own thing outside of the will of God. And then it bounces into another atom. Well, now you have two atoms bouncing out of the will of God, and they bounce into other atoms. And all of a sudden, you have this chaos that is outside of the will of God. That cannot happen. That is, that's impossible. And it gets, this gets into some deep stuff, but goes, going back to Lazarus, Lazarus was meant to die so that Jesus could bring him back to life. Right. Looking at this little girl, it was her time. Kind of going towards that. So Matthew chapter six, uh, we'll go verse twenty-seven. And which of, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So it's this mentality of God has numbered our days. Yes. From the day we breathe our first breath to the last day we breathe. Kind of a little bit of sharing of my testimony, I guess you could call it that way. By rights, I should not be here. There should be a an older man named Michael here. I had a, a, I guess you could say an older brother. He died six months in the womb. Six months into the womb. And uh, Michael Michael died. And believing the providence of God, that, that was the number of his days. But five months later, I was conceived. Five months later, with into a six-month pregnancy, Michael should have been born and been here, and I should not have it even been a conceived notion. But because of the preeminence of God, and for the glory of God, I'm here. Now, why? I, I don't know. I believe that I'm here for the glory of God, and that God wanted Michael's soul, and but he wanted me to be here on earth. And I, I can look and I can see fruit of that. I can see my children, my four children, my wife, the people around me, just even this. And there is a reasoning for everything that God is doing, and it has nothing to do with us except for the glory of God. 
Well, I want to read this and we're going to kind of wrap it up. I do. I, I think um, I hope we've just at least given you something to think about. We haven't gone super deep into everything they believe and, and whatnot, but something to think about. And I want to read this quote from Bill Johnson. And it just kind of goes to the underlying theology behind the resurrect olive campaign, right? Yeah. And behind these ideas of be, of being faith healers and and slain in the spirit and and God's ultimate will is to heal. And if you only believe enough, you'll be healed because that's what He wants to do to do for you. But if you don't believe, you won't be healed. So on and so forth. But I want to read this to kind of sum it up. And I'm going to read a, a little paragraph that I'm going to quote him. Uh, It says, Bethel has a program similar to a church planting network that equips and empowers leaders who desire to transform lives and communities through schools of supernatural ministry. Part of the role of such schools is to pastor people with unique spiritual giftings. As an article on the school planting website explains, quote, I knew a man who would know people's secret sin in the moment he he laid eyes on them. Mm. From what I know, this was not a gifting he wanted or sought after. It was just something he experienced. It was a testament to the character of this man that he was also one of the best lovers of people I've ever known. I know quite a few people who, from a young age, saw into the spiritual realm like you and I see into the physical realm. They see angels and demons constantly without actively looking for them. I don't know about you, but until a couple of years ago, this was different to how I experienced the supernatural. I've never seen someone's secret sin written across their forehead and until a couple of years ago. I'd never seen demons and angels flitting about, going about their business. I've never fallen into a trance, and I've yet to be supernaturally transported anywhere. Spiritual gifts manifest differently for different people, and there are those out there who have very unique manifestations of spiritual gifts and very unique relationships with God as a result. People label them as mystics or seers. Personally, I believe this is what should be normal for Christians and is actually accessible to all of us. And that is the underlying theology behind Bethel, is that... We have the ability to tap in, and, and and I don't think they would say this explicitly, but almost implicitly here, become godlike. Yeah. Right? That we have the power to do and say as we please, as if we were God. Right. We can heal on command as if we were God. Right. We can bend the will of God as if we were God. Like he said in that video we played, it wasn't her time to go yet. Or people die, what, what does it say? Too young. People die too young or people die outside of the will of God. Outside of the will of God. Right? Yes. And that's not, it's just not biblical. Yeah. And what they're teaching is not biblical. What they're teaching and what they're doing and, and how they're going about this is almost cult-like. It, yeah. Yeah. And he, they reference people like William Branham, who was a cult leader, right? And taught very cult-ish teachings. Look yeah. into William Branham. Yeah. He was not a Christian. He was not a follower of the Bible, a follower of the true and living God. So I understand this might have been a, seemed like a disjointed episode, and we did very much just scratch the surface yeah. of what Bethel believes. But I hope it at least gets you thinking and gets you doing more research before you start listening to their music or listening to their sermons or, or going into Bill Johnson's you know, line of thinking. Because it is not biblical. It is leading people astray. It is leading people down a path that is mystical and and and, and demonic and and witchcraft and sorcery. Like it, that's you. You think I'm being hyperbolic? That's where some of this leads. Right. It leads to these places that are just dark. Yeah. And devoid of of true spiritual and and Christ like worship. Right. And it does become very self centered. 
and self-focused and me focused. Yeah. It sounds like they are so consumed with the supernatural. Not yeah. not as in like what we should be as in okay, our our war is not against the flesh as in Ephesians 6 says. Our our war is against the principalities and the the darkness of this age. Right. So we are fighting a supernatural battle. And it is definitely within the past several years um just this fascination with the supernatural and they are being so consumed and enveloped with it that you have these people who think that they are seeing angels flying about they think they see demons everywhere and biblically that's just not right and so we get into what does the bible say about false prophets what does the bible say about false teachers and so i i have a few um scriptures that i'm just going to go through and read and just to kind of give you a hint. And just and just to wrap, to put a bow on this and to understand yeah. why we're doing this. And again, you may hear some of this, oh, Brad, some of this stuff doesn't sound so bad. It doesn't sound. You're right. Yeah. There is some truth. Inter- they are still using partially the same Bible exactly. we are. And so there are things that are in there that they say that we would agree with taken individually. Yeah. But when you wrap it up as a whole, we believe that Bill Johnson and the Bethel movement is is a movement of false teachers false religion, and a religion that does not lead you closer to Christ. It leads you into this weird kind of mysticism, borderline witchcraft version of Christianity Right. that we just do not believe is biblical and we think is very dangerous. So read what the Bible says about that, and then we're going to wrap this up because yeah. we have gone really long. I mean, granted, I have a lot of stuff to cut out, but we've gone <laughs> really long. Well, okay. I'm going to make this a little bit longer too. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'm but no, it fits. So, Okay. Talking about how they're using scripture. They are. They're using nuggets of truth to sway people the way they want them to go. And uh, and in all intents and purposes, not truly believing that a lot of these people are thinking, okay, I'm I'm going to lead these people astray and I'm going to lead them down the, the path of, or as the Emperor Cusco and Kronk and the angel on one side of the devil it says, you're going to lead them path, down the path of righteousness. I'm going to lead them down, lead them down the path that rocks. I really don't think that they're they're going about it this way. They they are blinded themselves. Um, and it's interesting. There's a mo- there's a movie. It's called The Book of Eli with Denzel Washington. Spoiler alert: If you haven't seen it, it's not not my fault. It's been out a long time. It's been it's a really it, it, old movie. It's like, not an old movie. Well, it's, it's like late two thousands. It's, it's probably earlier than that, no no it? no no. It's late two no, thousands. No. I feel like I was still in high school when it came out. It might have been, but it's but it's not that whatever. Anyway, it's old enough. You should have seen it by you now. You should have seen it by now. Anyway, so <laughs> general idea of this movie is post apocalyptic. Okay, world's ending. There's this man left, uh, played by Denzel Washington. He's he is walking to go somewhere, and he has a book with him. Come to find out, it's the last Bible on planet Earth. All the Bibles have been destroyed. This is the last one. Well, he he's going through the movie. One of the the bad guy the main antagonist, he finds out what that book is and he wants it. And when he, the, the woman that's with him, his wife or whatever asks him, why do you want it? He's like, because it's power. I remember basically he was telling her, I remember, you know, those who could wield this book wielded the power of the people and they could sway the people however they wanted. And, and basically that is, that's what Satan is doing. We know Satan is well-versed in Scripture. He uses Scripture against Jesus, and he uses people to use Scripture everywhere else. And we need to be careful of that, because as we know that Satan uses Scripture, 
we need to be careful where he uses the scripture and to whom he's using it through. And I believe he's using it through Bethel. Let that sink in for a minute. But we need to be careful for that. And again, not believing that they they know that Satan is using them. Okay, so just a few scripture. Um, oh, by the way, side note, he was blind throughout the entire movie, and the, the Bible was in Braille, and by the time the bad guy got the Bible, he couldn't read it, so it's whatever. It's a really good movie. You should watch it. So, yeah. <laughs> Mila Kunis is in it. Who? Mila Kunis. I don't know who that is. My favorite. Oh, well. Denzel Washington's in it, so that's all I care. Uh, okay, so Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20. But the prophet who assumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of the other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, it is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Mm. I'm going to read that one more time. So basically, what they say needs to come true. If it does not come true, then it is not of God. Anything a true prophet of God says that comes from God will come true. It will come true. Next, Jeremiah chapter 14. I'll start in verse 13. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say, Sword and famine shall not come upon this land, by sword and famine those prophets shall be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, their wives, their sons, their daughters, for I will pour out the evil upon them. Oh my goodness. Okay, yes, I know this is Old Testament, but if you truly believe that God does not change, that he is the God from the beginning to the end, God is still very capable of this. And for the people at Bethel, our brothers and sisters in Christ, I, be- I truly believe we have brothers and sisters there that are being swayed. I, I, I doubt any of them will listen to this. I pray that they will. But, but you are being judged by this. Why? Because you are supposed to work out your own f- salvation with fear and trembling, to go to Scripture and cipher through what you're being taught. Mm-hmm. And if it does not meet up with Scripture, you need to walk away. Because you will meet the same fate that they do. Next, Jeremiah uh, chapter 23, verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Literally, God is saying that is not true. That is not going to happen. We read through the New Testament. Jesus says, Paul says, tribulation is promised. 
It is promised. It's not a suggestion. You are going to suffer for the name of God, for the name of Jesus. Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 9. I I would say just read all of chapter 13, but I'll go to verse 9. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Everyone who is teaching a gospel contrary to that which has been taught, as as uh, Paul says in, in Timothy, and First uh, Timothy chapter 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received for, with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected. And, and these people are going to be judged so, so severely. Right. Why? Because they are also spreading stumbling stones. Yeah, and, absolutely. And Jesus himself says, it would be worse for you. Why? Because it would be better for you to be to have a millstone tied around your throat and be thrown into the water and sink to the ground and suffocate and die to do and, and than to do that. Yeah. That's why this is important. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're going to go through some stuff with Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, some of those people. We're going to talk about Stephen Furtick and kind of his belief system we're going to call out some of their teachings and we're going to really kind of do what we did here we're just going to make you think we're going to give you an overview i mean just a very big helicopter view of what they believe some of their specific beliefs not get super deep into them because we don't have a lot of time to do that but we're gonna we're gonna go through so we hope this is helpful we hope this is something that urges you to explore deeper and dive deeper and we hope that maybe this leads you to delete some of their music off of your playlist and get it out of your churches because we're whether we like it or not, we're kind of encouraging their ministry. You're supporting it. You're supporting their ministry. Yeah. And that's not one we want to support. So yeah. hopefully it gets you thinking. Have these conversations with your friends, with your family members, with your church leaders. Have these conversations because these are conversations we need to have. So before we jump off here, a couple of housekeeping things. We've had a couple of patrons over the last few over the last year. Yeah. We thank you guys so much. I think thank there's three or four of you guys. Thank you all. It's been amazing. We are actually going to pull Patreon down. Probably to, I might do it tonight. If not, I'll do it by the time this episode airs or the next couple of days. Pulling Patreon down, and we're going to relaunch in September. And we're going to relaunch in September with specific goals in mind. Yeah. Initially, we just were like, let's help pay for this because it does cost. You know, about $55 a month to do this. Yeah. Uh, but that was about it. We didn't really state a lot of goals or have a lot of things. But well, and that, and God provided for that. Of he, course. He, oh, he absolutely. He did. Absolutely. He did. No That's questions awesome. asked there. And we thank you guys for that. But we are going to relaunch Patreon in September with specific goals, mm. specific benefits for supporting us. Yeah. Uh, we've been in talks with a couple people about doing some episodes that we're just going to release specifically on Patreon. Some extra stuff. Some extra stuff. Maybe some unedited versions of what we do here. Some uncensored versions of what we do here. Not that we cuss, but you know what I right, mean. Right, right. Like, just 
you know, kind like of the last episode, a little the, more raw. The, yeah. the thirty minutes we cut out, maybe we'll just throw that out there on Patreon at yeah. some point and just be like, "Hey, here's the stuff we you didn't hear. Here's some stuff that Brad and I disagree on." <laughs> right, and so we're gonna talk. We're gonna do some of that, and we're gonna have specific goals and specific things we're gonna be working towards, like maybe building a studio, upgrading our mm. equipment, and just doing some things to make this more sustainable. To get rid of some of the weird noises you hear in the background while we do this. Good luck. <laughs> That's kind of the goal. So that's where we are with that because we are very serious about m- taking this thing to the next level. Yeah, I mentioned on the video on Facebook that we have gotten the most views that we've had, mm-hmm. or most sorry, the most downloads we've had so far uh, for the month of July. Yeah. So keep that up, share us, share episodes. We don't care if it's old episodes, new episodes. Just share episodes you think are helpful to people, and we love you guys for that. Thank you so much. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. I'm gonna launch a Twitter account probably in September as well. Ooh. Like we're kind of going to do like a reset at the yep. end of August and and start a new kind of fresh vibe, fresh feel to this in September is kind of my goal. I think Austin's goal too is to kind of revamp it yep. and kind of do some new things. And so we're going to, we're really excited about that. So give us a like on Facebook, Instagram, give us a five star review on Apple. If you haven't done so, we really appreciate those of you who have done that. In the meantime, we will see you guys next week. Same bat time, same bat channel for episode number 72. So in the meantime, stay stay rooted. rooted.